Morning, church. Open your Bibles to Psalm 23, please. You're looking at the 23rd Psalm, a little bit of family business. Well, first of all, if you're visiting Christ Church this weekend, uh, welcome. And my name is Mark. I'm one of the ministers here. And uh, we're glad you're with us this weekend. If you're visiting family and you're on your way out of town or you're just in for a special reason, we're glad you're part of our worship here today. Uh, for our church family, we want to remind you, uh, you can still turn in your, recur- your return challenge cards. Uh, there are treasure boxes back by the back door and out in the foyer that you can turn those in even today. Uh, we will be totaling those and want to remind you that next Sunday, we will be announcing uh, the generosity of this church toward our initiatives. We've been very impressed by the number of responses so far. Uh, don't have a total yet. We're waiting to, to do that this end of this week and uh, then to announce it next Sunday. And uh, we're also going to be celebrating the 60th birthday of this church next Sunday morning. And so uh, rumor has it there'll be some refreshments in the birthday cake variety next week. And if that doesn't get you out of bed, I don't know what else to do. Uh, so yeah, we'd encourage you to be back next Sunday as we're going to celebrate 60 years as a church and what God has been able to do in this community and as well as announcing what the return challenge uh, response has been. Uh, last week, uh, Cody Walker uh, preached on Psalm 1. Uh, we've decided for the next year on those sermons in between our series, and we'll begin our Christmas series next Sunday, that we are going to focus on the Psalms. And we've called those uh, Modern Problems, Ancient Wisdom. Because the issues that we face each and every day are not new to this world. They're not problems that previous generations haven't faced. And we're looking to the Psalms for wisdom into what we can learn, because the Psalms are unique. The Psalms speak about who God is in comparison to our condition. If you look at most every Psalm, you can realize there's a moment where the psalmist is declaring who they are and what they're dealing with, and then the solution is always found on who God is and how he deals with it. And so today we're going to look at the 23rd Psalm. It's a Psalm that unfortunately is used most often at a funeral. And it's an appropriate psalm for a funeral. It's not a misuse, but it has so much more variety to it than just that. You see, Psalm 23 answers the question that most of us have deep down inside of ourselves. And that question is, does anybody but me care about me? When, if I'm not producing, if I'm not beneficial, if I'm not helpful or useful, does anybody really care about me? Or is it just about what I produce and accomplish? And the psalm answers that question. One of the things I really love about the 23rd psalm is its uniqueness. It's written by a shepherd who became king, who's honoring his king. But the shepherding motif is throughout the entire psalm. What's interesting about this is it doesn't have to be a shepherd's song. It can be a school teacher's song. It can be a stay-at-home mom's song. It can be a dad's song. It can be a preacher's song. It could be a mechanic's song. It could be a business owner's song. It could be a shop worker's song. If you take the 23rd Psalm and you translate the truths about God from it into your context, into your world, you can rewrite this psalm. Now, some of you say, I would never do that. Don't be scared of it. In fact, I was, we were sharing back in the green room a little bit earlier Uh, One of the interesting things to me was something that we did back in Michigan. We had everybody in a Wednesday night Bible study just rewrite the psalm in their own context. School teachers did it. Police officers did it. A fireman did it. And the truth doesn't change, even though the context does. And that's why the 23rd Psalm is one of the most favorite psalms of everybody. Because it speaks to all of us in our condition. Does anybody care about us? 
when we're not producing for them. It's found in this psalm. Let's read it. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David, the shepherd boy who became king, wrote that psalm remembering the days when, as a shepherd, how God was the greater shepherd. Jesus would call himself by these same words in John chapter 10, excuse me, he would say, I am the good shepherd, hearkening back to the imagery that David understood. What a good shepherd means to the sheep. What a good shepherd does. Who the good shepherd is. So this morning, using David's testimony, I want to share with you five truths about God. Just an encouragement on this Thanksgiving weekend. That Thanksgiving is not a holiday. Thanksgiving is a lifestyle. And we have a lot to be grateful for. Let's look at five things about God right from this shepherd's song. The first is, the Lord will provide for us. This is the first thing that David proclaims in his song about God, is that he is a God of provision. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I don't know how many of you experienced this as kids, because I grew up in the church and I'm very grateful for it. But I remember sometimes when the the preacher wasn't that interesting that I would grab my dad's big Bible or my mom's Bible and I would start leafing through it and find coupons and old bulletins and everything else to keep me interested. But I remember reading the 23rd Psalm out of the old King James Bible where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's hard to understand when you're a kid, isn't it? I have a God, but I don't want him. That's how I always read that. Now, the newer translations actually translate the Hebrew with its intention By saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Because I want us to recall what we've been talking about for the longest time in this church. 60 years. Christianity is not about what we do for God. It's about what God does for us. It's different than any other religion that ever has been fabricated by man. This one is uniquely of God because it's all about God. The opening line says, with God, I'll need nothing more than him. I want you to think about that, church. If the Lord is your shepherd, you need nothing else. He'll take care of everything else in your entire life. It's the shepherd who goes ahead of the sheep, not behind them. Shepherds lead. They guide. They walk before. They they find safety. They find purpose. They find protection. Their lookout is for sheep. I I think I shared with it this summer, and, and if you weren't here, I just... Remind you, I had preached on a couple of the psalms about shepherding and made some comments about it when a farmer in Michigan pulled me aside and said, Youngin, you're coming with me. And I went to his farm on Monday and spent a day on a sheep farm, and my life was changed. I will not say it was pleasant, but I no longer find when Jesus calls us his little lambs, that's not a compliment. They're dumb, they smell, and they're accident prone. Oh, and they're willful. So when Jesus calls you his little lamb, you can remember Sunday school lessons about these cute little furry things bouncing around. That's not us. And he, he taught me so much and gave me a great book by Philip Keller on this psalm that changed my perspective on it. A shepherd is needed because the sheep cannot protect themselves. See, Martin Luther said, 
that faith is best expressed in our personal pronouns. So listen to how this begins. The Lord is my shepherd, and because of that, I shall not want anything else. The pronouns indicate the purpose. So there's a prayer that goes along with this. Lord, I need you more than I need any gift you can give me. I need you more than any answer to prayer that you can provide. Lord, I need you more than any solution to any problem you can offer. Lord, I want you and I need you to be my shepherd. That's what David is exhibiting to us. This is what he's testifying to. The king writing these words. He says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. One of the things I learned that Monday in the little town of Remus, Michigan was that you can't make, well, yeah, you can't make sheep lie down against their will. They're willful, they're stubborn. Oh, you can knock them over, but they will jump back up. And this shepherd said that there's two things that a a lamb needs to be able to uh, lie down. First of all, they need to be free of fear. They need to feel safe. And the second thing a lamb needs to be able to lie down is it, it will not lie down if it's still hungry. And I say, amen. There's a lot of things I won't do after 8 o'clock. Eating will be one of them. And, you know, we all know that from Thursday, right? What's our first thought when we got our tanks full on Thursday? I need to lay down. Now, you women, because you're a better creature, you said I need to do dishes. But I thought, I'm going to pass out. Now, so there's two things. If you're not free of fear and you're not satisfied with your appetites, a lamb won't lie down. A lamb will continue to pursue, pursue, pursue. But David says... The Lord makes me lie down. That doesn't mean a command. That means he makes us content. He makes us feel safe and full. That's good news, isn't it, church? You guys need to track with me this morning. I know you're still full of turkey, but let's, let's go. Isn't it good news to know that God will give us safety and peace so we can rest well? It's who God is. And then he says, he leads me beside quiet waters. Uh, that farmer in Remus taught me this, that uh, a lamb won't go near a running stream. It won't go near a river. And I, stupid me, I said, well, why? He said, because it's covered in wool. If it got swept off its feet into the water, it would drown. The wool would become wet, it would become too heavy, and the, the lamb would go right underwater and drown. So they won't go anywhere near something that's unsafe. But listen to what our shepherd does. He not only gives us peace and comfort and contentment to lie down, but he also takes us to safe places to provide us everything we need. He takes us to still water where we can have a drink and we can relax and know that we're protected and we're safe. The second thing he teaches us about God is that the Lord will guide us. Verse 3, he leads leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Not only will he provide for us, but he will guide us. Now, growing up, it says he leads us in the path for his namesake. And for many of us, we could translate that and say, well, God's only doing this for his own good. He's, he's, he's managing us. He's using us. But that's not true. You have to understand about the goodness of God. The goodness of God is tied to the glory of God. And the glory of God is most found in his goodness to us, not in our benefit to him. I want to say that again. The glory of God is found in his goodness to us, not in our benefit to him. So when God leads us in the path of of righteousness, it's to demonstrate his kindness and mercy toward us. 
He's showing us where to go. He's taking us to safe places. He's providing us this place of comfort and contentment. He's doing that so that we will bring glory to his name because he relishes in his goodness. He relishes in his kindness and mercy. He's not a God who demands of us everything so he can gain everything. He gives us everything so he can gain glory. And I'll tell you, you can look at all the other world religions. None of their gods offer you that. We have a God who is best when he's giving, and we're best when we're receiving. God is most God when we receive what he wants us to have. And David says, I know that he'll guide us. He'll guide us into the good path. He'll guide us in our prayers. He'll guide us in the scriptures. He'll guide us in community. He'll guide us through his spirit. He will lead us where we need to be if we'll simply follow his guidance. David takes us to another thing about God that I want us to to remember and hold on to. The Lord will protect us. It says in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I want to just pause there for a moment. The valley of death was a common place on the way up to Jerusalem. It was found between the mountains. Some people believe it may very well have been the place where Jesus cast the story of the Good Samaritan where the man is on the way to the city and he's beaten up and left for dead and he's found or he's observed by three strangers and one one serves his needs and cares for him. And David would remember moments that as a shepherd he would be leading sheep through these ravines and places between the mountains that if there was going to be an attack by a, by a bear or a lion or, or something like that or people trying to steal the sheep, that he would not have been protected, that he would not have been safe. And David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I cannot control everything in my world and keep myself safe, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's interesting that David uses the image of a rod and a staff. Did some research on this from Philip Keller's book. And Keller says in his book that the rod was not something. Now, I always picture someone went to Lowe's and bought a big dowel rod, right? About a one-inch stick that was all curved down. And he built a grip on it. He could just whack anything that came in its way and protect it. But they said, no, what they would do is they would dig the rod at the root of a tree. And they would go down and they would find a big knot somewhere in the root system where a bunch of roots had spun off, and they would cut it there. And they would carry this thing that would be anywhere from four to six feet in length with this big knotty wood ball on the end of it so that they could wield that. They could throw it like Thor and his hammer, or they could just whack someone on the head like whack-a-mole. They could do whatever they wanted with it. But it wasn't just a straight stick. It was a weapon, and it provided them protection. And when something came in, that the, the shepherd would not only have a slingshot and rocks, but he would have this amazing tool in his hand. And David says it was that rod, that, that protection, and that staff. Now, growing up being nowhere near animal husbandry at all as a city kid, the only staff I ever saw was the one on the cartoons that they yanked Bugs Bunny off the stage with because it was bad vaudeville, right? Well, the shepherd's crook would have been a stick with a, they would have bent a hook on it and formed it so that they could guide and lead and protect. Now, we often picture that the shepherd would reach out and hook a lamb by the neck and pull it back, and I'm told that's not the case, that they were very gentle with that. In fact, this farmer told me that you have to be very careful how you handle baby sheep or lambs because if the scent of the human is on the, the lamb, the mother may not nurse the lamb. Because it's become filthy and dirty and unsafe. 
Notice what David just did. We have a God who has the strength to protect us, and we have a God who's gentle enough to nurture us. We have a God who says, I will give you the firm hand of discipline when you step out of my will and don't protect yourself, and I can also be the mother that will wipe your tears. Doesn't that sound like our God? Now, whether you're a school teacher, a business owner, a professional person, a stay-at-home parent, it doesn't matter. Whether you're a retired individual or you're a grandparent who watches your kids two or three days a week so that your children can work, no matter what your condition, this psalm is your story. It's your song. Because every one of us knows we have a God who will fight for us and we have a God who will comfort us. This is what David wants us to know. This is what David celebrated. And in verse 5, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's two imageries here that the scholars discuss. One is the table concept very well could have been up in the mountains when the snow would melt, uh, the grass grows richer. I can tell you that from having lived in northern Indiana until I was 18 and then the rest of my life until I moved here in Michigan. The snow is horrible, but the springs are ridiculously gorgeous. It's a little different down here. I know the thought of snow sends us all into buying up all the bread in the community. I know that. But in Michigan, the spring grass is as rich and snaps in your mower. It's ridiculously sound and healthy because the snow, the the volume of water and nutrients in the snow just makes the grass beautiful. Well, shepherds would take the sheep up into the mountains when the snow thawed because the table platforms of grass up there would be richer than anything they would find in the lowlands. Maybe that's what David's alluding to. There's also an allusion to the fact that at a table, when someone came into your house, the gift of hospitality was a part of what God's people are still to be about. And when someone entered into your home, they came into your protection. If someone was pursuing a stranger in your home, you would give your life to protect them, that they would not be harmed at your table. And David says, our God invites us into his table In the midst of all of our enemies, we have no doubt where our hope and strength lies. The shepherd prepares. They even said that shepherds would go into the fields ahead of their sheep and very often pull up the noxious weeds because the sheep weren't smart enough not to eat them. And they would get rid of weeds or they wouldn't allow them to go into those places where that weed would cause them issues that might kill them. Sounds like our God, doesn't it? He provides and protects. And fourthly, the Lord will heal us. Verse 3, he says, he restores my soul. There's a shepherding term that's found in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says, uh, why so downcast, O my soul, put your trust in God. I didn't understand what the word downcast meant until another shepherd explained this to me. He said, to be downcast is sheep because they have these little stubby legs, and when they get too fat and full of wool, they can be pushed over, knocked over, or fall over, flip on their backs, and not be able to get up. And so they lay there. And if no one rescues them, they are a wolf's buffet. Because all the the predators got to do is find them knocked over or knock them over. And they have no sense of protection. They have these little stubby legs. They're fat and full of fur. They can't move. Well, when a shepherd would find that very often, like, sheep would go down into a ravine and trip and fall. And if they were too thick and, and too furry, they would get on their back. They would be called downcast. But he said a shepherd just couldn't flip a sheep over and kick them like a bumper car and say, get going. If they had been turned over for a while, their legs would become numb because all the 
the blood would rush out of their legs. You've had an arm fall asleep or a leg fall asleep. If someone just stood you up, you would collapse again. They said a good shepherd would pick up the lamb and massage the legs until the blood flow was perfect, and then they would, allow, they would set the lamb down gently, and the lamb would just waddle away from our grass. Doesn't that sound like our God? Can anybody in this room testify today that our God is gentle in setting us back up after we've fallen down? Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your trust in God. He restores our souls gently, lovingly. Verse 5, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The anointing is what a shepherd did to sheep that had gotten into thicket or brambles and had been cut or scratched. They had this ointment of, of these different spices that they would put together, and they would anoint them. They would, they would cover them. The anointing is an image throughout the entire Old Testament. We have a God who not only sets us back up, but he heals our wounds. He knows the perfect ointment to calm our hearts. And then lastly, David says, the Lord will pursue us. He will pursue us. Verse 6, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, Scholars seem to mention that that word follow in our English translations is not as accurate as it needs to be. It actually is the word pursue. Now, I need you to know this. You have never gone after God. He's always come after you. And that's what separates Christianity from every other world religion. In every other world religion, you have to kill something, do something, act a certain way, stop doing certain things, give a certain amount. You have to do this, do this, do this. But we said at the very beginning, we don't have a God that we have to impress. We have a God that ought to impress us. And he pursues us. He has been passionately asking for your hand in covenantal marriage your entire existence. Every moment of your life, he is wooing you, pursuing you, asking you to trust him. He's saying, let me be your shepherd. And it says that goodness and love will follow us. It will pursue us all the days of our life, the goodness of God to the glory of God. And then David says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not only do I have a God in love with me, I have a God after me. A God who will not take no, but will constantly keep asking for my yes. And that God will then take me into his home and make me his. This is the same David who would write, I would rather spend one day in the presence of my God than a thousand years anyplace else. Because he knew who God was. So the simple question behind this morning's thoughts of David is this. The Lord can be your shepherd. Will you let him? Let's stand together.